Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcast. G'day, and welcome to an expatriated edition of Thrash and Treasure, the torture chamber musical comedy podcast where Peter Pan and Wendy discuss Tinkerbell's obsession with Cannibal Corpse. And speaking of disgusting... I'm Matt, and I'm joined, as usual, by the man who proves money can buy nice shoes, but will never buy class. Oh. It's Aaron, the village idiot. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> oh, lovely. How's it going? Good, mate. How's it down in lovely Melbourne? Is it nice and warm like it is up here in sunny central Queensland? No, I can hear the wind through the um the window again. And the last time that happened was we had Adam Baldwin on, and it was freaking me out the whole time. He thought it was him freaking me out. Adam, you don't freak me out, mate. The wind was freaking me out, and there was floods only 15 minutes away. So let's hope we don't have floods again this time. So yes, bad luck with weather on this. I dropped out during David Zippel. I was gone for 10 minutes. Well, I was screaming out in the land room just because of the freaking weather. It happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. Uh, you're taking your month off, is that right? Yeah, currently having a month off while we prepare for our 100th episode. So that's going to be coming up. We have a superstar guest. I am so excited that we get to do this episode. I am so thrilled. So, And hopefully Jonathan will be back for that episode. And then following that, I'm taking the episode off, episode 101. And you and Spencer are taking over. So I'm, I'm starting to give up my hosting chair because a good leader knows when to let his co-host shine. Like uh, but however, I give up my chair today and you insult me by saying I have no class. Well, you know, I was just trying to, you know, make some puns. Not very good <laughs> at it, but but I'll keep working at it. Keeping busy. I've been traveling all around the world. As you know, I was yep. in Fiji. Then I was in Brisbane. <laughs> I'm back up here in Blackall in central Queensland. Uh, population 1600, maybe 1601 now that I'm back. So, yeah, it's small. For the listeners at home, when he says travel around the world, he says a three hour flight away. But, anyways. <laughs> well, you know, some of us, uh, yeah, well, that's true. It's only a few, hour, a few hour flights. It's actually, yeah, as far to go to Fiji as it is to come to Blackhall, pretty much. Yeah. <sighs> Big day driving yesterday. Anywho, guess what? What? We have another expatriated diva in the cell block tonight, and now her powerhouse vocals have echoed across the country. It's easy to know where she's been because <laughs> it was just yesterday when this tip-top Oklahoma-bred Bakersfield flower rose among the upper crust of Aussie theater talent <laughs> and buttered us all up with breakthrough <laughs> roles that had buns on seats. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> and you can rest on this engaging empress whose early years involved entertaining a career in engineering before careening to engineer a career in entertaining, which exposed her emphasis on exquisitely executed and emotionally elevated high ease that sure make the world go round and made this artiste go round the world as if she were following in my steps. Like an American daughter of the art should, after this joyous journey saw her rowing to America, sorry, from America, in black waters, on a dark and stormy night, when she shuffologied to Japan to paste her influence on her students, claws and all. So I would be un-Australian if I didn't throw a huge half-American g'day, mate, and a half-Aussie howdy, partner, that's a mighty fine horse you're riding there, to this queen <laughs> of the Latie variety, who is no dubya, all spice, and she's only getting hotter as the sons of summer help her blossom in bloom after she disenchantedly killed climate deniers with a rock of 
ages after they were being Jesus to the revolutionists. But no power on this earth will allow me to make a pun about gout. I will have none of that. But I will <laughs> raise a glass of wine, then propose a toast to wild parties and broken dreams and to all souls, children, and youth choirs out there living like kings. So it is with greatest respect and much love that I get to welcome to the torture chamber this dueling diva with a killer smile and my dear friend, a Matilda Award nominee who waltzed across the Pacific and into our hearts like Dora the Explorer when she managed to travel the world without leaving her adopted home. When once on this island, never faulted and shook the rock in San Andreas, filmed in Sydney, lent a hand to I'm a Celebrity Jungle in Queensland, graced the lands of Elvis in Memphis, Tennessee, on the Gold Coast, where she also pirated to the Caribbean via the Wet Sundays, before mine hair hopped across the map to Baltimore for the recent revival of Hairspray, where her motor mouth took her from Melbourne to Sydney and Adelaide, then full circle across the Pacific Sea to six U.S. cities from East Vanina West, all to see that she had it coming. She has it coming. When she will soon ebb her way back to Chicago, but in Australia. So before I break out my sexiest lingerie and rouge my knees, causing you both to reach for the gun, <laughs> slap on your posse and shake and shimmy for this sensational <laughs> actor, singer, podcaster, intimacy coach, teacher, engineer, union president, and you can bet a ukulele list who's here to knock our socks off now that she's the name on everybody's lips because she's the seductively soulful queen of Saudi good Yay! <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. That was like my entire CV in mm. one breath. <laughs> Boy, is all I've got to say. Yeah. You are so red right now, Matt. Like so red. <laughs> Is that how red I get when I do them? Mate, you're much more you're much more relaxed when you do it. What? No <laughs> way am I more relaxed. That was brilliant. I'm so proud. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. <laughs> well, we wanted to give you the, the star treatment as we always do here on Thrash and Treasure. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh Aaron uh helped me sort of facilitate some of that. Um, but yeah, of course you've had a wide and varied career. And we want <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> By the way, when's this episode dropping? Oh, not for three, four, five weeks or so. We're taking a bit of time off. We're going to drop 100. Then we've got Tim Doyle and then it will be 102. So late September, possibly, unless something happens. So I don't know. So maybe mid-September, so maybe early September. Whenever you're listening to this now, that's when we dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Well, thanks again, Sabi, for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really excited. You're looking fabulous in your barret. Or were you baking oh. this morning? No, I was on the phone. <laughs> Just chatting with friends. Uh, I watched a little bit of Drag Race, one of my favorite shows to watch. The only reality show I watch. Which season? Hmm. Or which country? So I watched season nine, I think is what I'm watching right now. Yeah. I can't say what I wanted so desperately. Actually, no, I can because this episode isn't dropping until after our 100th episode because we have Miss Peppermint yes. from Drag Race Season 9 on our show. What the f***? Anyway, sorry. I know, it's so amazing. So amazing. But I do love that you're wearing a beret because I was trying to fit in Raspberry Beret in there somewhere into your introduction because I know you are a big fan of Prince. Yes, I am. <laughs> so I was trying to was trying to fit that in there, but I didn't. I should have because it would have been timely. Anyway, sorry, Matt, you're hosting. Yeah. 
Well, I'm just looking at my uh, script here, Aaron, <laughs> and I'm up to this Aaron has a reveal sort of section, so I'm not sure what's happening. I do. It's funny you bring up Drag Race because I have a costume oh. reveal. I am wearing my, hang on, oh no, my $100 shirt has already friggin' like the cotton on it. Oh my god. Oh no. Designer clothes are like not worth it. <laughs> my Baltimore shirt. Yay. Yay. Oh. I almost had my hairspray shirt on today, but Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all right because Yay. Yay. Awesome hairspray. Ta-da. Hairspray is everywhere on Thrash and Treasure today. Yes, 2007. Yeah. That's the movie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's Love it. The DVD release. Do you know I've only actually seen the Hairspray movie twice. So I saw it when it first came out. And then I think I had I, like on one of my off days on tour, I decided to watch it again. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then, But I mean, I've seen the original, the John Waters film. I've, I've watched that every day one summer when I was a kid. Oh, like, that was, yeah, one of my favorites. It was on VHS, right? And we used to just like, wear it out. Did you used to wear it out? Yeah. Well, we, we recorded it off television on our own VHS. And mm. so, yeah. And then we would just watch it over and over. And yeah, I loved it, kids. <laughs> Who knew Ricky Lake would grow up to reveal paternity tests on TV? <laughs> that was such a great show, too. We would rush home after high school to watch her. Ricky. Yeah, I loved Ricky Lake. Yeah, mm. and Donahue and Sally Jesse Raphael and Jenny Jones and, of course, Oprah. Yes. Queen of them all. Yes, love Oprah. But she wasn't really scandalous tabloid, was she? She was In the beginning, she was. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, Oprah did start off that way in the beginning and then yeah. I don't know what happened, but she just kind of became very spiritual and more realistic. She went national. Yeah. She went national. Yeah. That's what happened. Her show went from being this little tiny Chicago show where they'd give out free donuts to People don't worry, I've seen the early days. I am obsessed. I grew up <laughs> watching Oprah. All right. They literally would bring people in by giving them free donuts. And she'd have some like full-on episodes on. There was one episode that she had the KKK on, right? She literally had Nazis on her show. And you can see it on YouTube. It is full on. And she's like up in their faces and or not in their faces, like you know. Yeah, questioning them. Yeah. Being the ballsy Oprah that we know her to be. Wow. Anyways, and she had like the club kids on and stuff like that. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And that perm. She had that perm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> She's iconic. Oprah, please come on my show. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all from Chicago. Now, Zavi, enough about Oprah. Mm. And back to you. Okay. <laughs> You're having the biggest year of your career so far, maybe. I don't know. Do you think so? Oh, like it's pretty big. Do you feel it's about time? Oh, look, it's great. I'm very excited that it's all happening. Gosh, you know, it's something that I've just been wanting for so long. And now that it's finally here and it's happening, I'm really just living in the moment and just enjoying everything that's coming with it. And, you know, making sure that I keep healthy and, you know, I sing every day. I, I haven't started reading my script yet. I don't, I don't have it. Do I have it? I don't have it yet. So, <laughs> you know, and I've just kind of really been learning about who my co-stars are and, you know, just making sure that I'm ready to go into this completely ready and full and happy 
So I'm very excited, very excited. Do you memorize everything before you get in the room? No, usually with music I do because music is very, it comes very easy to me. So I might, usually I'll know my songs before I go into the room, but I like that collaboration process that you have when you work with your director. So sometimes I'll have things half memorized, but I like to be able to work with the director so that if once I memorize something, I'll continue to say it in that particular way. And I know that a director might come along and say, actually, we want to change what the subtext is and we want you to say it like this. So I do leave a bit of room so that I can be malleable in that way. You know, these songs are created, but sometimes you do get a little bit of creative license to make it your own, you know? So I was able to do that with Hairspray. And then I have no idea what's going to happen in, you know, I have two songs in in Chicago. So When You're Good to Mama is, is in that lower register. It's a bit of a low song, but who knows? Cool. Do you think there's a bunch of different keys for it? Like I, when in Chorus Line, there were all these different keys for the Cassie and there was like the N ranking memorial key, which is very low. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I think Monsoon um, probably sings it in a different way than I don't yes. know, in the movie or yourself. Yes. Yes, there are different keys. So when I think Hairspray, I think there's three or four keys for I Know Where I've Been. And um, we just picked the one that was right for me, which I think was A flat. And then I'm not, I know that there's at least two different keys for when you're good to mama. And I think, I can't remember if they lowered it or I know, I know I auditioned with one key and then to do my callback, they changed the key. Because you are so special and you are such a star. (laughs) We're we're just going to make, we're just going to change everything. We'll change the entire orchestration. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that was very kind of them. Well, Mama Morton is the keeper of the keys. She is. Yes, she is. That's right. The ruler of the roost. Yes. So all the keys, all the keys are mine. The musical keys. (laughs) I have no freaking clue. I haven't performed on stage in God knows how long. Last time I sang on stage, last time I auditioned for something was 13 years ago. Wow. They um, closed the theater to renovate it. So that was a sign. (laughs) They're like, you're done. At a community production. It wasn't professional oh okay i've done community work in the u.s as well and in australia yeah you get they rehearse for three months yeah and that's so long whereas like in the u.s we might four to six weeks is about what our rehearsal is and then we do about four to six weeks of performances and then we're done so in that time in that rehearsal time that you guys have here in australia we rehearse and do an entire show yeah so that was I think I've only done I think I've done four community productions since I've been here and that was the hardest thing to get around was you know and rehearsing on weekends as well because I you know do a lot of weddings and things so I was like I can't rehearse on the weekend (laughs) sorry that just can't happen like I have to work mm, it's very interesting different anyway (laughs) Cool. Great. I know that your family came across um, to see um, Hairspray. Are they going to come see Mama Morton in Chicago? They say they are. So (laughs) we'll see. I mean, I told them, I literally said to them, you only have to come to Australia one time. So come and see Hairspray. And then if you never come back, that's fine. But my mom keeps saying, no, 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 we're coming. We're coming to see Chicago. So, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. I have an ongoing question with my guests because I am a bit of a shit stirrer. How often do you want to slap someone for calling you wasabi? Oh, look, it doesn't happen as often anymore because I yep. do use that as a way to teach people how to say my name. Because mm-hmm. you know, I'll say, oh, my name is Asabi and I'll get something like Asami or there's some other name that they repeat. 
Asani. And I'll yep. say, no, 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 Asabi, like Wasabi without the W. And then they're like, oh, and then they never get it wrong after that. That is so true. You said that to me and you said that to my son Graham as well. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's rare unless someone is playing around, you know, it's usually people that know me and they'll be like, oh, hot like Wasabi. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> now you can say without the W, but all the spice. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes I do say that. I'm like, just careful, I'll slap your hand. No, I never hit people. Oh, what? <laughs> At least not on purpose. <laughs> I just heard, I just heard this great um, interview on Australian uh, radio with Beyonce. And Beyonce was talking about like when she was first starting out, she was in a record store and she was singing along. And she's like, and my mother slapped the shit out of me. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> Whenever, because I like to sing when I'm grocery shopping. You know, they always play like those old 80s pop tunes and stuff. And so sometimes I'll be walking through the store and I'm just singing and someone will come up to me. Oh, my gosh, you're really good. Do you, you should think about doing this as a career. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, not me. <laughs> I get called Erin by so many Americans and I just want to slap them all but I don't because I'm a good person but always Erin and I have to be like squash it Aaron squash it down Aaron like it's a horrible name Aaron 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 not Aaron Aaron no Aaron I love you America but no please stop it it's so hard Aaron I don't mind that or a dub a dub I get a dub or B dub Bitch all the time, especially from my parents. Oh, yeah. That's a go-to thing for me as well, bitch. Yeah. I was like, I love it. I love that word. But at Aaron, that's so hard to say. Like, it, it like sits in the back of your throat. Aaron. Ah, ah. That's I say, squash it down. Like, that's a horrible yeah. name. I hate it. Aaron. As a... But Aaron. That's how we pronounce it. Aaron. 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 No! Aaron. no. Well, it's not... Aaron, it's Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> Aaron. Literally, my parents were so lazy by that point. It was my dad's fifth child. I opened the baby book and they saw the first name on there, double A-R-O-N. No, fuck it. Let's go with that. They were done. We're done. Right, thanks. A-A-R-O-N. Thanks, guys. Love it. <laughs> and they raised me exactly with that mentality as well. But anyways, <laughs> let's move on. Sorry, Matt, I'm railroading you. No, that's all good. That's all good. I love it. A-A-R-O-N which may make you want to slap me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, speaking of wanting to slap someone or violence in general, uh, we're going to move across to the metal now. A, yeah, go. Metal. Aaron. Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to call you Aaron for the rest of the night. I'm going to hate editing this episode because it's going to be my name over and over again. I'm going to be sitting there going, why did I bring it up? Why did I have to put it in there? Aaron. Aaron. Oh, let's go. Let's move on. Aaron. Aaron works well for me. <laughs> I'm pretending to ignore you all. Yeah. Okay. Timothy, <laughs> what would be on your ultimate craziest, most over the top yes. rock star rider, Asabi Goodman? Oh, kittens. Kittens, yes. Kittens. It would have to be kittens. I would need at least three. Yes. And I, you know, yeah, just kittens. I love kittens. That would be like my favorite it, thing. Awesome. Like any specific kittens? Like, are we talking oh, look. kittens that are from a specific place? Do they have to have some sort of special ability? Um, you, know? you know what? I would love to have Maine Coon kittens because <gasps> they are massive. Oh. They're so huge. They're like the size of a normal cat, but they're cute and fluffy and, and they still look like little kittens and they play and they're just so cute. And they'd, if I had three of them, they'd probably knock me all over. But I mean, that's what you do with kittens. 
And that's not going to affect your voice when you're singing? Nah, nah, not at all. I take meds. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> but you don't want cat hair all over your outfits. No. So I would be I would wear a robe. I would have a and I would have a special room just for the kittens. Uh-huh. And I'd come in in my robe and play with the kittens. Yeah, now we're talking. Yeah. You know, and have little toys and cat whatever towers. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to have a bridge across the room so they could climb up and walk across the little bridge. That would just be so cute. Yes. I've always wanted that with goldfish. Like to have multiple tanks with just like glass tubes that connect the rooms up. Like this is just my imagination going. That would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, yeah. I want to marry Rich. It'd be difficult. <laughs> you can have that in your house. <laughs> Never gonna happen. But yeah, definitely kittens. Mm. Imagine cleaning that. God, getting all the gunk out of it. <laughs> oh, what an idiot! I didn't think that through. It's pressure. Pressure hose. I am a Baltimorean. Anyway, sorry, Matt. It's your episode. Uh, do you have much experience with metal, glam metal, death metal, industrial metal, any sort of metal? Over I the mean, engineering metal. I look, I was a huge Metallica fan when I was a kid. Yeah, That's probably it. I mean, I'm sure there's some other metal bands that I probably didn't even think of as metal, but you know, like Queens Reich and that oh, sort of yeah. thing that I listened to, but. Yeah, yeah, so I could throw down. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it and find out what you thought of this week's metal album, which Aaron chose. Yes. Yeah. Excalibur by Gravedigger. Excalibur, yes. Before we get into why he picked it, I'm going to quickly read through my review. Mm-hmm. Here we go. In the haunting opening strains of this album, I thought cool as the atmosphere was established, but then when the medieval synth and guitar came in, I thought, oh no. Aaron's done it again. He picked an album based on the name of the band, and it's not really a metal album. Then, some hard guitar chords eased my anxiety, and by the time the drums kicked in, I was relaxed and ready for the ride. I actually was listening to this in the car, and it was a long drive, and I was starting to fall asleep. And that is no indication <laughs> of the hard coreness of this album, but I was very relaxed. It soothed me. It soothed me. Does Gravedigger play the album live? Because if they do, everyone is going to be exhausted, especially the drummer who goes hammer and tongs throughout so many tracks. Anyway... I was an instant fan, as you can tell, perhaps because I was speeding on my ute through the Australian outback, but Pendragon, the first big vocal track, had me banging my head. And the lyrics, it's it's the sort of like reading the Bible or a summary of the Arthur legend. But even if they are prescriptive, they are educational and thorough. And I love when choruses are repeated so I can get the full effect. And the unique diction and pronunciation of Excalibur, they were say Excalibur, uh, had me smiling, Excalibur. They are German. (laughs) Well, yes, Aaron knows that I love a bit of diction as well. Um, So the album keeps accelerating and, and exciting the nerdy medieval teenager boy in me until the surprise of the round table and i have to mention at this time that if you are reading the lyrics on spotify as you listen and i suggest you should you are getting a great prologue facts about the story of each song it's a camelot primer and i don't just mean the primer used to treat the finest wood in britain to make the round table speaking of wood i was getting a major man of war vibe at this point and we all know from the lyle brooks episode that bands from that era awaken the gay boy in me so it should be no surprise that grave digger opened for man of war in the german tour in 1994 fun fact i thought i was supposed to be a musical theater nerd and aaron i'm afraid that you're changing me i was wondering what boy is going to personify morgan lefay morgan lefay as they 
pronounced it. And and as I knew her to be the female sorcerer of Arthurian lore, interestingly, the lead singer Chris Boltendahl used the lower tones of his voice to gently bring voice to our heroine as he, in the opening measures, and I thought it was a bold and powerful choice. You are going to get more bangers about the Arthurian myth and learn more about the characters over the next few songs. And although it seemed to come from a very male gaze, where the women spoken about were only there to service the men at times, because those men had more important things like hyper-masculine infighting and preparing for battle to think about. But I mean, aside from all of that, it's a terrific journey. See, I am always going to get my feminist perspective in here. The penultimate Emerald Eyes provides the emotional release and conclusion that is required of this myth. And we finish with the satisfying Avalon, which ties it into a neat bow. Overall, I love this album, their ninth studio album. I think they're currently up to 20. And I'd like to explore its emotional territory for my next musical theater audition if Game of Thrones ever is made into a musical. <laughs> 4.5 out of 5. Wow. Yes, that's that's pretty high. Sabi, did you love it as much as I did? Look, um... <laughs> I did enjoy it. I really did. And I listened to it while I was making dinner. So it was soothing enough that I could, you know, have it playing. And I didn't listen to it in great detail. And I actually couldn't really understand what they were saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Spotify lyrics. Yeah, exactly. So <sighs> that's pretty much what I heard the whole time. But I, I did enjoy the music. I thought the music was actually really, really good. It was nice. So, Yeah. That's really all I have to say about that album. <laughs> all right, Aaron, your thoughts? Why did you pick this album? What's going on here? Well, I picked it because you picked the musical. So that's a very short answer on that one. Um, and I asked Aussie music fan, uh, listener of the show, what's a good Arthurian metal album? And he said this one. So I went with this one. It was a bit samey all the way through. <sighs> like there wasn't too many peaks and valleys. And when you're... In, like, the highlands of England or wherever they are, that's Scotland, isn't it? <laughs> there was a Scottish song in there. Either way, like, you know, from that sort of that hilly vibe, you'd expect a few more peaks and valleys than what there were. Really? I thought there were heaps of heaps. And he I don't know. Maybe, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm getting soft to listen to all this metal stuff. I thought it was because I've accused things of being samey in the past. I thought this one pace-wise, um, you know, had a nice, had nice ups and downs, but... Well, there there were some lower ones, but all the fast-paced stuff did sound the same. Like, tracks would change into the next track, and I didn't realise that it changed tracks because I thought I was still listening to the one before it. I'll give you that. And it wasn't until there was a few, a few valleys in there. There were slower moments, not as many as... I think when your faster stuff is so same-same, you need more variety in the rest of it, I think, or at least more of a blend. It was enjoyable enough, but the vocals, I thought, he didn't have much of a noise. It was just really growly and all the same all the way through. Like that, there wasn't much of, like, there wasn't much range in there. And I'm kind of disappointed you didn't let me review this album because I was planning on doing the whole review in that voice. So you kind of missed an opportunity there to screw me over no <laughs> and ruin my voice at the start of an episode Aww. yeah look it was I'll, I'll give it about three and a half i think uh, okay asabi do you have a number for this one? Oh, look 
I'll give it a three because for me, it was, you know, I kind of agree with what Aaron was saying. I didn't, I couldn't tell when songs changed. So it did kind of sound the same all the way through. And I think I got to 48 minutes or so. So it was only the last 10 minutes that I needed to listen to. And I was like, oh, it's like, there was no real, like, I couldn't tell when a new song was on. So it all did kind of sound the same. So I would give it a three. This came out in 1994, and that's when I was finishing uh, NYU. So, like, I graduated high school in 90. And, um, sure, 99. It was 99. Oh, sorry, 99. Sorry, they the, broke up in 94 and then got back together. But anywho, total throwback for me. It was like emotional throwback. It was very comforting to my high school years. And I totally would have been that person that was sitting in the bedroom listening to the record player and really getting into the story. Yeah. Like, living the story and living, you know, the whole Arthurian legends and, you know, and the the war and the love and the betrayal and all that sort of business. Mm. I will say that it, you know, it does follow, it tells a story. So it does follow the storyline yeah. quite well, which is good, you know, so it wasn't just like a bunch of guys getting together to throw some sound together and scream. So it, you know, and it's part of a trilogy of their middle ages trilogy. So yeah, these are guys that really enjoyed this era. So that's kind of cool. Virgins. <laughs> What did you say? Virgins. <laughs> well, I mean, they're German, though, so I I don't know that they'd be virgins. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> well, hmm. Germans are very expressive. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Yeah, it, it was very, it was very male, 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 male. So yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. Overcompensating for something else with those, uh, with those growly vocals and that the hard banging drums and all that sort of business in the thrashy guitar. They're probably really low key in real life and just, you know, nice young guys that just, oh, when they were young and they just kind of like hang out at the coffee shop. <laughs> I could see them like sitting with their legs crossed, like, hmm, this is good coffee today. Let's go write a thrash song. <laughs> you know, they're one of the top four metal bands in Germany, Gravedigger. Oh, yeah. Oh, Rammstein would have to be one of the top ones. No, so they were, they were known as the German like the big four. Yeah. So Halloween, Rage, and Running Wild. And then there was Gravedigger. Oh, I think we've done Halloween. Yeah, Halloween. And how, and how do you have all this knowledge about Gravedigger, Ms. Goodman? Uh, because uh, Wikipedia. And also my keyboardist is German. So I did ask him about it. And he was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're so big. Oh, you know. I can't do a German accent. But <laughs> so he was he remembered them. And yeah, we had a little chat and I, I told him about it. And he was like, oh, yeah, Halloween and Rage and Running Wild. They were big. Oh, yeah, so big back in the 90s. Um, yeah. No offense. It's very Arnold Schwarzenegger, Austrian. They sound the same. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Oh, it, between the years of 88 and 91, they were known as Hawaii. What? Yes, they were. They've had three name changes, I believe. Uh -huh. um, so they were Gravedigger, they were Hawaii, and then I think they were also known as just Digger for a while, and now they're back to Gravedigger. G'day, Digger. Yeah, yeah. Digger. G'day, Digger. Yes, I, I don't mind a Gravedigger, but I would much prefer a Sugar Daddy. Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, on that note, Matt, now you can end up the segment. All right. We read the Wikipedia so you at home don't have to. Exactly. <laughs> well, hmm, it looks like the grave has been dug on Gravedigger, so we're going to excalibrate an ad break. G'day, listeners. Aaron here. 
we thought we'd better send a spy to Broadway to check out the shows for us. So here for today's review is our Broadway spy, Spencer. Today we're going to talk about the new musical Here Lies Love that recently opened on Broadway. This is a musical about the life of Imelda Marcos, the former first lady of the Philippines. It is an immersive disco musical with a score written by David Byrne and Fatboy Slim with the overall concept and story by David Byrne. Of course, it is directed by the extremely talented Alex Timbers. This show is an experience like I've never had before. There's uh, five different seating options. You can stand on the dance floor itself, or you can sit on the sides or in the front um, or in the rear of the mezzanine. It is an incredibly cool experience with a set that is designed by David Corns, who also retrofitted the entire Broadway theater. They removed all of the orchestra seats. It is now just a dance floor there with about 300 spots there. Uh, of course, it stars the wonderfully talented Ariel Jacobs, who I saw in Between the Lines off-Broadway last year, and Jose Lana and Conrad Ricamora reprising their roles from the original off-Broadway production 10 years ago. The score itself, to be honest, was not my favorite thing, but that's not why you go to this show. This show is truly an experience unlike any other, and I recommend you go try and see it. It is a show that also costs a lot of money to run, and so we don't really know how long it'll be around. It's a fantastic show, fantastic experience. This is also a show, show that just can't tour. So uh, come to New York, go see this show. It's so cool. Like, I can't overstate how cool this show is. Go to the Broadway theater. I personally sat for the show, and I'm going to see it again to do the dance floor experience. But from what I have heard from friends and colleagues is that if you're only going to see this show once, see it from the dance floor. Enjoy. Go see Here Lies Love at the Broadway theater. We're back with Russian Treasure. I'm Matt, that's Aaron, and we're joined by my friend and fellow expat American, Asabi Goodman, fresh from hair hopping across Australia and hairspray. Hello. Hello. So disappointed that Matt wouldn't let me put the line in there because behind every great woman is a good man. <laughs> that is true. He wouldn't let me put it in there. <laughs> That is so not true. I would have liked to put <laughs> I asked you three times. You did not answer. I'm like, all right, fine. We'll move on. It's not sexist. It's a joke. No, because I was smiling inside, thinking how clever that was. It was clever. It's great. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. I do make that joke. So I always say I am a good man. <laughs> I am technically a good man. That's my name. That's exactly. <laughs> Anyways. All right, I'm frantically looking through my notes as Aaron often does and trying mm-hmm. to work out because there's no numbers whether see, I'm in the right place. I'm script. not crazy. I'm not disorganized. <laughs> it's literally it's part of the job. It's what you do. All right, so yeah. if you're following along the script and I'm in the wrong place, you just tell me. I am following along the script now. Okay, let's talk a little bit about hairspray. Um, many musicals are based on movies, books, real people. Uh, what's an untapped area you'd love to see turned into a musical and why is it a video game? Yes. Okay, so I don't play a lot of video games. Like the only video games I play 
probably would have been like I played Super Mario Brothers when I was really really little like when it was brand new it's me yeah that could be a musical they did Spongebob why couldn't they do Mario that actually could be a good musical I think it'd be a great musical actually Super yeah. Mario Brothers and what would be like I think they should make it so that Princess Peach has to save the turtle monster guy <laughs> Bowser Bowser, yeah, I don't know yeah. their names, but I think that would be really funny if the musical is about her and her journey to get to him, and she meets Mario and Luigi along the way, and you know, follow the yellow brick road, and they get to Bowser. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Very interesting. Yes, mm-hmm. I want to see that. Probably shouldn't put that out there in the world because someone will make that. Somebody will, and I will scream mm-hmm. into my pillow. <laughs> Well, maybe they should have, like, it should be a thrash metal music score. Yeah. That would be no, funny. No. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. I, I saw Cat Stevens' musical, uh, Moonshadow, but Cat um, is now called Yusuf. And there were, like, lots of mushroomy sort of things in his in his uh, set design, which is something that he always used to do in his concert as well. So we could borrow the set from Moonshadow and put it over to Super Mario Brothers, the musical. Oh, that would be awesome. Like all the ensemble are little mushrooms and they're the little mushroom people. Yeah. And the set from Company, the recent revival on Broadway, because it's all just square boxes. So that's very ah, gaming. Yeah. They'd have to jump on them. Yeah. Yeah. They could use flies to make them fly. So when they're actually jumping, they're flying across the set. And then whenever they hit something, you hear that sound and then like a little, yes. what is it, Venus flytrap pops out. Oh, those Venus flytraps. That's right. That's very musical. Mm. Yes. I smell a huge disaster. <laughs> kind of like Spider-Man turn off the dark, right? <laughs> Ooh. Get Julie Tamar to direct it. It would be amazing. It would be an awesome musical. Speaking of musicals, we're going to swing our sword <laughs> over to the musical now, now that we've um, covered that. And following on from our metal album, I chose the musical this week, and I chose our first ever Learner in Low musical on this show, Camelot, specifically the 2023 Broadway revival. Mm-hmm. So before we discuss that, Aaron's going to enthrall us with his review. Oh, I'm sure. Doesn't sound at all sarcastic. Let me just <laughs> find my review. Here we go. All right. When I was first given Camelot, I was hoping for some more gra gra gras in a Broadway context only to be disappointed to remember this is a romance. One star. Ugh, okay. Let me pull out Matt's sword from my chest, wounded and bleeding, as I roll my eyes and suck it up. Not the sword. So I pressed play and... Cool. Anyways, I wonder what the king is doing today. Clearly not watching the women's soccer. The simple joys of maidenhood maintained a simple melody throughout without the oomph given to Eliza Doolittle's lovely opening song. It's sweet. Cool. In Camelot, which reminds us we're in Camelot a lot, is again sweet and cheery, not at all threatening. But where are the witches, the swords, the Iron Maiden torture devices? But I digress. This 2023 recording exquisitely captures a classical tone expertly sung by Andrew Burnap and Philippa Sue, with neither's voice threatening in any way. And as this kind of, I want to say, drawn-out music plays, when at 58 minutes it feels like three hours, 
I fear the whole show is rather sweet and non-threatening and rather humorless, unlike its more famous predecessor. But where My Fair Lady had quirk as well as turmoil, I can't help but feel the score of Camelot isn't for me. Maybe if they're getting cursed and stabbed on stage with an epic magic-filled showdown with Queen Le Fay, then I don't know if it would hold my rapidly dwindling attention span. Three stars. I can see why it's so beloved, but it's just so sweet and non-threatening. And after that metal album, I wanted something a little bit more meaty. Sweet and non-threatening doth not a compelling album make. So as an album, I I wasn't all in for it. I'm sure as a show, maybe it's like three hours long and there is some action. People, you know, we know the story of King Arthur. It's not just all romance and sweet. We heard my company episode, if you're a regular listener of the show, where I had my breakdown about being single. I didn't need a romance this soon. Anyways. <laughs> Zabi, were you familiar with the show um, before now? Oh, yes. Yes, I was. Um, I did the show, actually, Ooh. back, oh. I don't remember when. It was a long time ago, 2001, 2002, I think, maybe. I was young, very young. Were you the queen? Were you Guinevere? I was the ensemble. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to be, I just got to dance and sing and I didn't have any lines and yeah, it was great. <laughs> did you have a maypole? Did you dance around a maypole? Yes. Yay. We sure did during the lusty month of May, which I'm like, that's such a great song. And I, I feel that I was really naive when I did the show because there's a lot of sexual innuendo in Camelot. Oof, is there what? Hello. They're talking about having a giant orgy in May because that's May. But it was just so sweet and non-threatening. It's May. Like, it wasn't like the bed or contact in rent. Now that's an orgy where okay. you know they're having an orgy. Well, you have to, you know, remember when it was written and you know, decency laws. You know, you have to kind of be careful when you're, know. you know, singing about sexual things, but you don't really want people to know that you're singing about sexual things, but it's kind of like, ha, 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 yeah. you know. And I mean, that's what this whole, it's a love, the story is a love triangle between Arthur and Guinevere and Lancelot. And even worse. (laughs) You don't like love triangles. (laughs) I'm just so over romance. It's like everything has to be a romance, even if it's just shoehorned in there. Well, I mean, you know, it's romance, it's betrayal, it's death, it's, you know, there's a whole joust in the middle of the it, musical so much fun it didn't come across in the music yeah it is it's it's fun but i mean when you think about what a joust actually is it's like terrible i can't believe they actually sat around and watched that sort of stuff but we have to make it fun it's a musical musicals are supposed to be fun yeah it's supposed to be it was a bit of a slog are you a big learner in low fam Asabi? Uh, some of their other shows um uh can you name all of their other shows maybe <laughs> My Fair Lady. Yeah, that's My Fair Lady, Gigi. Yes, I do like My Fair Lady. Um, I'm, I, so, no, I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of their shows because I can't name them, but I'm sure I've seen them and, you know, I enjoy them. But am I a huge fan? It's not like, like you know, Candor and Ebb, where I'm a huge fan and I know a lot of their shows and I can name a lot of their shows and I've sung a lot of music from their shows. So Learner and Lowe is 
does not have the same, I do not have the same love for them. Well, I picked Camelot because I was like, ooh, this is, you know, a classic, beautiful learner and low score. It's back on mm. Broadway. It's got some incredible singers in it. You know, we've got Philip Passu. Yeah. We've got like this great ensemble. I mean, the team that was put together, you know, is Barrett Sher, and he had done so well with South Pacific and some of those other classic things. So I was like, this is going to be lush and beautiful and I am going to love it. I didn't. Oh, I'm not alone. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. I thought the recording was really um, quite lackluster. Mm. Um, like they just, again, but everyone talks about seeing it live in like the 30 piece orchestra and how, how just absolutely gorgeous it was. Um, and, you know, and they talk about the vocal performances as well, which are actually very good. But again, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe because there's still like memories of like Julie Andrews from the movie and, mm -hmm. and uh, Rex Harrison and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I thought Philip Sue's vocals... Um, you know, were beautiful, of course, but sweet and non-threatening. Yeah, that's right. There didn't seem to be a huge amount of point of view, and maybe that was like music direction interpretation as well. But perhaps it's just because I couldn't help, you know, in my child's mind, mem remembering Julia Andrews and comparing the whole time. Sure. Have you seen the movie? I have seen the movie. Yes, it's been it's been a long time since I've seen it. Richard Harris stood out for me because he doesn't really sing. <laughs> He just sort of Sprechen speak sings. <laughs> yeah. Sprechensang is the term. It's a German term for speak singing. Is it? Sprechensang. Yeah. And, that, and that's exactly what it is. Speak, sing. Well, maybe that's what Gravedigger was doing, by the way, Aaron. So that's my, my, my defense of the Gravedigger singer. He was Sprechensteining. I really I thought he was trying to clear his throat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I hate that when I say a good joke and my co-hosts or the guests laugh, but we don't hear it. <laughs> but you see them like go back on their chair and I'm like, yeah. no, we're missing the audio. <laughs> Anyways, it happens all the time on this show. You should have a laugh track. Do you have a laugh track that you could just throw in? <laughs> no, but I'm collecting up everyone's laughter like souls and I'm going to put them in inside talking dolls. Yeah. <laughs> And then on Halloween, when people come up our driveway, there'll just be people laughing, but it will be these freaky dolls. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that, but I think now I will. Anyway. You could if there was magic allowed in this production of, um, of Camelot. But unfortunately, they decided that they should take the magic out. Oh, wow. Oh. That's wrong. Well, so what Aaron Sorkin did was, what it, it, uh, in the interview that I listened to this morning on the interwebs, that must be true. Um, <laughs> He was saying that they basically just completely took the book out and just laid all the songs on the floor and then Ooh. sort of like rewrote it. And he wanted to take the magic out of it, which I don't know. Everyone has been saying that there's, you know, the, that there were problems with the original musical. I mean, when they first wrote it, it was over four hours long, all this sort of stuff. Um, but and I actually don't you know, recall even from vague memories of seeing the movie as a kid or listening to an album. Like magic wasn't what interested me in the story. It was the love that me in the story. Ooh. But a lot of criticism for this current revival was that by removing the magic, um, it sort of like uh, removed the magic, flattened out some of the magical characters and therefore... Mm -hmm. And in the, gave it a more practical realization. I think they were also trying to give uh, Guinevere more agency as well. I read one review that described her as like the Catherine Hepburn, you know, in this production. And yeah, and I think that by taking some of the magic out, perhaps it just flattened the experience for a lot of people. That makes sense. Because King Arthur is supposed to, it's like, it's a mystical story. Like, you know, there's witches, there's a wizard, there's, it's like. Yes. It feels like they were taking that out to make it seem like it's more historical. Because I have met people 
who have thought that the story of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table was real, and it's not. <laughs> but Merlin isn't real? Merlin is not real. <gasps> Although he and I were in the same Hogwarts house. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, what, what, what house? Yeah, we're both Slytherin. Oh, so- yes! Slytherin, yeah. Although we'll have to cut this out. Oh, yeah, true. What has she done to us all? Well, we don't have to talk about her, no. but we can still talk about the story. Yeah, true. Because, you know, like, yeah, anyway. Interesting. Mm. Back on Camelot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so another another interesting fact about Camelot. I'm like, I don't even know what just happened. I'm just going to. That's what, We know what happened. You'll hear it back in the episode. <laughs> and another interesting fact about Camelot. <laughs> because Aaron Sorkin was also commissioned to, you know, obviously with this team to rewrite the book. Because in the original show, uh, it was supposed to be Lorenz Hart that was working with Frederick Lowe to create okay. the story and the lyrics. And then of course he was very ill during the preview period. And so uh, they brought in Alan J. Lerner and Alan was responsible for the lyrics and for the book. Yeah, and Lorenz Hart did not, like he, he, he did not live long after <laughs> Camelot premiered. And then I was reading that, um, so yeah, so Aaron Sorkin was asked to look at this show again. And then this is all tying back to magic, by the way. And then he suffered a stroke, like between being commissioned to write the musical and then to actually get to work on it. So maybe there was some, you know, evil Morgane Le Fay sort of sorcery happening around this show. (laughs) Have you heard any of that, Aaron Arasabi? Any any of those stories about No, I haven't. haven't. Again, it could be a myth. Uh, Maybe. It's a mythical show. It gets way up my goat that a musical like Camelot, and I know it's legacy, I know how beloved this show is. How does a show last for 60 years and no one has a problem with it? It's perfectly fine. People will put on a three-hour production and people will go see it because it's Camelot. It's beloved. How do we get 60 years and someone turns around and goes, oh, no, this is outdated now. This is problematic or this needs to be changed or this needs to be a thing. How do we go 60 years and then say that? Leave their work alone. If someone's dead, their work is cemented. Leave it alone. You could write original stuff. Why are you then shitting all over someone's work and literally ripping the magic out of it? (laughs) Sorry. You probably needed the money. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I might be alone on that. I might be alone. I things might need updating, but why do they need updating if we've gone for so long and it's been fine? Perfectly fine then. There was nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong. Who knows? Like language, you know, changes in language. Yeah. Sorry, Matt. I'm embarrassing you in front of your friend. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> Trust I do this in front of all my guests, Asabi. You should hear it. Like if you spark me on a topic like scaffolding on the stage or oh, no don't my blood's gonna boil oh no. you don't like scaffolding on the stage oh no no why am i paying for a construction site goodness gracious me i'm gonna hear stomp <laughs> stomp stomp on the stage give me a set anyway sorry oh, you kind of well... get me started this is why i have a microphone okay a podcast okay i won't i won't get you camelot. started camelot. Yeah. I, I, camelot am i am i alone in this that we should just leave things alone well it depends i mean I will tell you, I'm very glad they made changes to the musical Showboat because <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> I can mean, say sensitivities. There's a difference between, you know, insensitivities, though, and then going to someone's work and saying, well, this is shit now. Yeah. yeah. How is it suddenly not good enough for Broadway now? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I have no Do idea. Do you know why? Because he wants a Tony mm. Award. 
He wants a Tony Award for Best Book of a Musical. Like, you don't have enough awards, Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> yeah, best. I mean, it would only be up for a revival, though, wouldn't it? Because technically it is still a revival, even though it has a revised book. No, I wrote a new book. But it's not completely new. It's just revised. Uh, Spencer's, this is what Spencer's for, the facts. Spencer's yeah. our Broadway spy. He knows everything. The smart stuff, and he's the youngest of us all. Yeah, I, I, I'm <laughs> sorry. I don't I don't feel this needed a revised book. It was. It lasted for 60 years without one. Mm. It got tons of productions. Yeah, it, well, it, this is the fourth Broadway revival. Um, it, but it's interesting as well how people associate. I mean, in in America, like it's very much associated with JFK. Yeah, mm-hmm. because of that interview with Jackie O. And so I think that that's what a lot of the affinity for the show is as well. Is that is that sort of like, and maybe that's why you know they brought Aaron Sorkin in, who's political, and you know they tried to make it sort of more of a metaphor for politics in this production. And yeah, and so it's it's that because we as well, I here here I, I'll get on my soapbox now. Yes. Because you know, because please do, please because do. politics has changed so much in America because of the transparency of uh, social media or the the power of social media to spread misinformation. And so we look back at that sort of JFK era and sort of go, oh, well, this is when things were actually real and innocent. I, I don't know. Do you think that that had something to do with this choice of revival, Asabi? Possibly. Like, I mean, you know, we're in today's world. We are always trying to cater to the political. So we, we make a lot of personal things, things that I believe should be you know, personal. We turn that into political and mm-hmm. everybody wants to have a say. You know, everybody wants to prove a point for one thing or another. And so what better way when you have a platform, what better way to do it than on your platform? So, you know, I definitely see that in a number of musicals, you know, where people are pushing their own influence because of that, because they can. So I can definitely see that. Art is inherently political already. Mm. I don't think you need to hammer it home. On that note, instead of shitting all over what was already written and throwing that out, why not just do the show as it is, but your design aesthetic be the White House during the Kennedy administration and do an actual on-the-nose Camelot that is the Kennedy administration. You don't need to change the names. You don't need to change the anything because that's what art is. That's what it's meant to be conceptual. It's meant to be you. We're literally sitting there staring at a lit up box. <laughs> so in that version, would Morgan Le Fay be who was was it Ooh. Marilyn Monroe that Kennedy famously had an affair with? Yeah. Well, yes. Oh no, because I'm, I'm I'll totally go to hell for that one. We do not desecrate the Queen. <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean because she's the unspoken person in this love triangle which is sort of a quadrangle is that mm. Arthur can't get over you know this sorceress oh. slash scientist you know mm. that he mm. loved as a 15 year old or whatever and so that's it sort of explains a lot of the uh, okay the difficult to connect between um, Guinevere and Arthur and you know and perhaps the affair although I think that Arthur and you know Lancelot should have just got together but that's another story altogether or is it or is it that's my version you can do the white house version i'll do the one where yeah where lancelot and arthur well because you know arthur was the only one that really liked lancelot and didn't understand why everybody else 
didn't like Lancelot until he loved. Yes, he did. That's why he had to get married. That's why they brought mm-hmm. in this queen to marry him because he loved. He loved his Lancelot. <laughs> that would be a very different show. I agree. Yes, ever I would leave you. <laughs> that would be come a lot. Clearly. Oh, oh, oh wow. yuck. Wow. <laughs> One of us had to go there. That is the pun of the episode. Just open the door for me. The back door at that, but anyways. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh goodness gracious. Uh, yes. And I'm putting the pen back in my mouth. Mm. So I can't mm-hmm. talk. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, now we have definitely messed with the classic, and um, yeah, I'm sorry to completely oh, subvert it. That's a whole new image. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's my fault. Um, I just, I don't think comparing them to, okay, we can compare it to My Fair Lady, obviously, because I don't think this had the relatability that My Fair Lady oh, no. has. The score is so much better for My Fair Lady, in my opinion, but... Mm, I agree. It's enjoyable. It's fun, but also character-wise, we can, in a lot of ways, relate to Eliza Doolittle being that fish out of water and learning, you know, or to to stand on our own two feet, full stop, whatever, whatever we want to put on it. Um, but I think the music does transport you to that time because it is kind of sort of folk folkish in a lot of ways. Mm. It doesn't have the full grandeur that Rogers and Hammerstein gave in their music. Mm. Which is why I can listen to Rogers and Hammerstein and not be bored because there is that epic grandeur behind their music. I think here they tried to have it, but I think they were restricted perhaps by the genre of being a classical folk musical. What would this genre be now? Is it just classical now? Is this classical? It's only 62 years old. What do we call it? Golden Age American Musical Theatre? Yeah. That's not a genre. That's a... But even in Golden Age, it was like a throwback to something more operetta-esque. What do we... What is this? Yeah, legit. I think they call it legit musical theatre. Legit music. Is what it's known as. Yeah. That's the singing style is legit, which is closer to the operatic style of the early 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah. I have no clue. So do you remember all the lyrics from when you were in it as a young person, Asabi? No. Are you one of those people? (laughs) No. (laughs) Definitely not. Mm-mm. Were you in love with the King Arthur or the Lancelot? No, neither of them actually. I'm trying to remember the so the actor who played our King Arthur was a professional actor, and I don't know if he was up from Los Angeles or if he actually lived in the city where we were putting it on. I think he lived there, and I remember him coming up to me and saying, "Oh, you know, you sing very well." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." And he was, and he said, "Is this a profession that you would consider, like, when you graduate from high school?" And I said, "Well, I'm an engineer, so it's not what I'm doing at the moment. I just enjoy this because it was a it was a pro am production." But so I looked quite young. So that was kind of fun that, you know, everybody thought I was a child when I was doing the show. Um, And then our Lancelot was, oh God, what was his name? The one thing I remember about him is that he was a virgin and he was very proud to tell everybody that he was a virgin. I can't remember his name. And I remember that there were a lot of young ladies who wanted to date him. (laughs) So they could. That's why he's telling people. (laughs) He was full of shit. He was full of shit. Anyway, sorry. Either a devout Christian saving himself from marriage or someone who was playing a game either yeah sounds like a very lancelot thing to do yep and i never knew but um he was known he was known for being the virgin and 
So a lot of ladies wanted to date him to take that virginity. I didn't find him that attractive. And I think we were around the same age or maybe he was a little bit older than me. I don't remember, but he was lovely and he had a beautiful voice. And then there was an incident on this show. I remember we were, I think it was our very first performance. And I remember being backstage and we had this ballet number to open the show. And and I was fluffing my skirt, as you do. And one of our older cast members, who was also in the ensemble, decided that this was the perfect time to come up and kiss me full on the mouth to tell me that he was interested. (laughs) So I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is why I am now an intimacy coordinator to make sure things like this do not happen to casts when they're backstage. But um, yeah, that was a very interesting uh, incident that happened backstage. That, that, But other than that, I really enjoyed my time and I loved the show. The background, the drops were beautiful. I have, I do still have some photos from that show and it was just, it was stunning. It was just a beautiful, stunning set and yeah, it was a good time. It was a real good time. So those of us that don't know heaps about intimacy coordination, coordinating, obviously, you know, there's what happens on stage if mm-hmm. nice you have to kiss or embrace, but then it also encapsulates what happens in the whole company um, across the culture of the show. Exactly. Well, we do, you know, talk with the cast about consent and, you know, the, the wider discussion and you don't you don't just go up and grab someone you know you don't grab breasts you don't grab genitals you don't just go up and randomly kiss someone because technically that is assault you know and it, it's just so we have these conversations with people but for performance we actually choreograph intimate scenes so any scene that deals with any type of touch of human contact that's not fighting or violence, then you call in an intimacy coordinator. So we choreograph kisses, we choreograph lovemaking scenes, we choreograph scenes between a parent and a child or a care and a patient and make sure that those scenes are consistent. So it's always the same action that's happening so that no one gets hurt and everybody knows what's going to happen. No one ever gets caught off guard because people can get harmed. You know, like if you decide, oh, I'm randomly going to slap someone here and the other actor has no idea that that's coming, you know, and you have to look at the intensity at which you slap. Like there's so many different reasons that you have an intimacy coordinator on your team, but it's basically for safety, consent, and to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Well, in my version of Camelot, where Arthur and Lancelot love each other, Mm -hmm. we will need a fight director for the sword fights and an intimacy director for the sword fight <laughs> ah i i'm very curious as to what you would like this sword fight to look like <laughs> <laughs> use your imagination as Sophie goodman <laughs> ah, i'm i look i'm very creative i can i can choreograph a scene yep it would be the highlight of your show <laughs> we could call it sex caliber Oh God! <laughs> how, have we, how have we gone into this territory? I, I don't. I think you need to ask consent before we um, continue this conversation. Oh my goodness! We've had come a lot now. Sex Caliber. Oh, they get worse. I think Sex Caliber exists. I'm actually. sure it does. <laughs> I think both of them do. I think. Yeah. I'm sure it does. Like, <laughs> like in LA, because you played LA. You played the Pantages. Where'd you play in LA? The Dolby. Oh, the Dolby. Oh, wow. How fun. Yeah. Because Pantage is up on um, Santa Monica, and they used yeah. to always have, like, every hit movie that came out, they would have, like, the X-rated version of it. So, like, Saving Private <laughs> Ryan, Saving Ryan's Privates. Yeah. 
That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yep. So we can mm. do Oh, Calcutta meets Camelot. Mm, mm. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm on board. So yeah. a revisical, which is actually, yes. Yeah. Oh, Camelot. <laughs> oh, Camelot. Oh, 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 Camelot. <laughs> Organ Lafay. Orgasm Lafay. <laughs> it's even better. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. Oh, dirty. Love it. You mm. started it. Don't goodness gracious me. You started that. All right. I was too busy ranting about changing people's work. Like, I'm innocent in this party. Mm. Oh, that's true. This was a very innocent discussion. Well, it started. Well, on. mine was too, though. I mean, but but in all honesty, mine was. I mean, you know, we don't have to go to you know a naughty place for Arthur and Lancelot to be in love. We can just play the subtext. It could be very sweet. Oh my goodness! It could be completely hidden. Oh, no, no more sweet. It could be very hidden, and like you never actually see them get together, but they sing about it, and you know because. What and then there could be like a whole song where the ensemble sings about stoning anything that they don't like, and I mean that might not go over very well, but that would be cool. And there could be a dream sequence. There could be a dream sequence where you know they get together in the dream, but it never actually happens. You know, Aaron wouldn't like that because he doesn't want me to change anything or modernize anything. Unless instead of pulling the sword out of the stone, no, Aaron, they pull out the sword from the stone. <laughs> 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 oh my god <laughs> it was chosen by god to do that oh. <laughs> you know how my that got a first-hand account of how my mind works last night when we were writing that introduction and just stupidity yeah stupidity <laughs> Yes, I think we've come up with all the clever puns that we can about <laughs> <laughs> um, We only had two. Quick, Aaron, yeah. what's another one? Um, oh, but, um, oh. Actually, this could be your homework, dear dear listeners. You know, tweet us or, you know, X us, whatever you call it now. Do you tweet us? Do you X us? I don't even know. I don't know if it, yeah, I don't know if they've changed Send it. Us your best Camelot puns. Yes. Uh, <laughs> best naughty Camelot puns. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, I want to fear the worst about those. And I think it might be time for another ad break. That didn't land, but anyways. <laughs> Guinevere, right. the worst. Well, it looks like Aaron can't think of any other. This is how it was meant to play, Asabi. Well, it looks like Aaron can't think of a clever Arthurian pun. So we're Guinevere for the worst. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, my turn. Well, it looks like Aaron can't think of a clever Arthurian pun, so we'll want to fear for the worst yeah. while we go to an ad break. Very good. That's hilarious. Get it? We're going to fear for the worst. We're going to yeah. fear for the worst. fear for the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Thank you. At least someone did. Matt. Anyways. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Moving on. Oh, man. G'day listeners, Aaron here. While you're topping up your coffees, did you know that you can support our show and go on a fantastically scary adventure at the same time? Go to www.thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore to grab your copy of The Toniston Tales, a darkly funny Aussie trilogy about a young boy who rescues injured animals in his spare time and the roller coaster ride 
he's taken on by a literal fish out of water. Written by me, the village idiot of Thrash and Treasure, you'll come to love Toniston Turnbull and the dozens of wacky characters that he meets along the way. And here is a sneak peek. After barely three hours of light sleep, Toniston Turnbull slowly opens his eyes, his body feeling heavier than it ever has before. Not from extra weight, from tiredness and stress. Polly sighs in the shadows behind him, the flame of the nearest barbed wire tiki torch tower having died down, but not out, while Toniston napped. Are you awake? Toniston whispers. Oh, how can I sleep in this place? Polly moans, turning onto her side and facing Toniston, who stays on his back, imagining obscure animal-esque shapes in the rusted tin roof above them, shadows faintly formed by the nearest dying torches. We need to work out a way to get out of here, Toniston states the obvious. He whispers, despite the fact the nearest shacks to their own are several metres away, and the occupants presumably asleep as most prisoners seem to be. How? There's no fence to squeeze through, or even climb, Polly replies, sitting up in bed and then stretching out her sore arms. The hairs stand on end from the slight chill in the air. I don't know, but I think the whole fighting thing is a distraction. You mean, to distract the other prisoners when new ones arrive? No, I, I think that was just bad timing. Didn't you notice? Toniston goes on to explain his theory. That fight happened, everybody gathered around. I didn't see one person who wasn't watching, and then when I vomited, the only gate in this place closed shut. What are you trying to say? I think something happened when everyone's back was turned. Like what? whispers Polly, her voice breaking up in fear. I don't know. That's what we've got to find out. Toniston's brain starts working overtime, but it's strange that nobody seems to want to leave. They seem almost happy. Definitely content. So, when's the next one of those stupid beatdowns? Toniston can't help but think Polly looks tough, almost evil in the shadows as she asks, I don't know, Toniston begins, but both teenagers are distracted by a crumbling noise in the distance. Hopping out of bed, Toniston joins Polly on her own equally uncomfortable one. Spotting a large white package hovering close to the cave ceiling, behind it a shadowy figure. The package is lowered down, causing the teenagers themselves to lower as well, hoping not to be spotted by whom, or what, may be operating this obscure crane. Over a long, slow descent, the package is dropped to the ground. Polly keeps her eyes on it, but Toniston looks up immediately, spotting a large black shadow scurry away to God only knows where. Come, he whispers, as he quietly hops off her bed, slipping into his docks with bare feet. Polly follows his lead. Careful to keep watch on all directions, the teenagers swiftly sneak over to the white package, their hearts beating an almost tribal jam in perfect harmony and stopping in their tracks as the sudden realisation of what lies before them sinks in. A woman, seemingly in her early twenties, wrapped up in bandages from the neck down. No, not bandages. Is that spiderweb? Polly asks, completely mortified at the prospect. Grab your copy of The Toniston Tales from thetonistontales.com forward slash bookstore today. Hooroo! We're back with Thrash and Treasure. I'm Matt, that's Aaron, and hi. we're joined by my friend. You're interrupting me. What? I just said hi, which is what you co-hosts do all the time. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you say hi. 
Good. We're back with Thrash and Treasure. I'm Matt. That's Aaron. Hi. And we're joined by my friend and fellow American. This is his first time hosting, people. We've got to be generous. I know. Try one more time. Let's try this one more time. Very proud. Okay, okay. We're back with Thrash and Treasure. I'm Matt. That's Aaron. Hi. And we're joined by my friend and fellow expat American, Asabi Goodman, soon to be seen as matron Mama Morton. Yes fourth tour of Chicago. Now we'll just get a few questions about your hopes and dreams for the future. Is that right? Is it the fourth revival? I believe it is. Shade. Yeah. <laughs> it, it feels like it's been revived a lot. Shade. It's the, it's the, I believe it is the fourth time around Australia. It's the last one got cut short because of COVID. Ah, so 2019, wow. 2020, I think it was going into 2020. Do you know who's played the part? Who's played the part um, before you? I mean, Casey Donovan was. That's the only one that I know about. Yeah, our guest from last episode, Sunita, played the part on the West End. Oh, did she? Yeah. Oh. And we've mentioned, of course, Jinx Monsoon. Of course, Queen Latifah played it in the movie, and she also yep. played Muttermouth Maybell in the movie. So she yeah. did. Seeing a little bit of a trend here. Yeah, if Queen Latifah does another musical. Uh, yeah, it needs to be freaking Gypsy as Mama Rose. Yes. Thank you. I could do that. I could totally nail that part. Easy. Yes, please do. Please, Australian producers, put Asabi as Mama Rose. <laughs> Open it in Melbourne so I can be there on opening night with the perfect seat because I gave you the friggin' idea. Anyways. Yes. And 10%. <laughs> So yeah. Judy Canelli was mama in the 1981 Australian tour. Oh. Yes. Oh, that would have been before this revisical. That would have been yeah. in, the, in the Sydney Theatre Company one that Richard Ware directed and then went around the country. Yes, that's right. Yep. And it also went to the Hong Kong Festival, oh, Hong Kong Arts Festival. Mm. Yeah, that's mm. pretty common that they'll tour to Austra- uh, Australian country, To Asia. Uh, Asian countries. <laughs> but leave the gun, take the cannelli. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of cannelli and cannoli, you're a baker. Do you bake for your cast? And what's your favorite thing to bake for others? Oh, gosh, I love to bake cakes. I do love to bake cakes. I have to bake one this week, actually. I told my friend I would bake her cake. So I'm going to bake one this week. But I have, for my Once on this Island cast, I baked a cake for them. It was a coconut cake with a mango compote in the middle Mm -hmm. and then a pineapple-flavored buttercream. And that was really lovely. Did it look like an island? No. Well, I mean, I guess so. Like a round island. (laughs) (laughs) But I did have a special topper made to put on top of the cake. And it was an edible like an edible sticker sort of thing that you can just put on top of the cake. And it had the logo of the show. The icing was green and yeah, people loved it. It was good. It was a small enough cast so everybody could have a piece. Now, once on this island, by the way, Aaron, that Asabi was in was fantastic. And the cast was phenomenal. Thank you. Did you want to just, you know, give some shout outs to some of the incredible people that were involved in that production? Oh, yes. Let's see. There's Patrice Tapaki. There was Lorinda May Maripore, who's starring in Anne Juliet at the moment. Um, and Patrice Tapaki is starring in Moulin, Moulin Rouge. Rouge. I was just yep. getting my um, program out, but you spoiled it for me. Yeah, she's the Satine cover. Uh, Garrett Lyon, who is was is playing in the Sunshine Club, I think that's doing like a small tour of Australia at the moment. Jade Dominguez, who's also in Anne Juliet, 
so back to, back to well, it's a sort of a follow up question to Once on This Island in a way, mm, which wasn't yes. even a question. But um, right. So because a lot of those performers are Brisbane based or Queensland based from Brisbane. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, Australia has often looked to Melbourne or Sydney for our talent. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's possible to have a career in musical theatre in Australia without living in a major city? And I don't know if we count Brisbane as a major city or not. I'm going to say yes, because I, well, I mean, I live in Brisbane-ish, Brisbane adjacent. And, you know, I'm having a lovely musical theatre career without having to live in Sydney or Melbourne. So, yeah, and I'm not ashamed about it. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with living in Melbourne, people. Don't listen to them. <laughs> I love Melbourne. Like, outside of Brisbane, it is my favourite Australian city. I love visiting. I love the culture, the food. Like, I love everything about it. But, I mean, I love Brisbane, especially during the winter. It's warm. It's the best weather. Yeah, you can walk around in shorts and a T-shirt. Mullets. Oh, the spiders. Spiders everywhere. Oh, they're not that bad. They're massive. No, I, I can't deal with the ones in Melbourne enough. I'm moving to Antarctica. Oh, you don't want to live there. You don't want to go to Antarctica. No, there's no spiders there. I can I can warm up. There are there's hardly anything. Yeah. There's penguins. That's fine. That's and fine. some people. Yeah. But not I mean, much else. A lot of single men. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> with nowhere to true. escape to. They can't ghost me because they there's nowhere to go. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> that sounds like a whole different podcast. <laughs> it is very much so. <laughs> Do you feel like you have to advocate for Queensland being the president of the union here? Oh, look, I am a strong advocate for hiring local actors, um, especially if it is a government funded entity. I definitely believe that they should hire more local actors. We do have a lot of, even in film and television, we have a lot of day players and lead actors that come from not Queensland. And we have the talent. We have the people, you know, we're more than just extras. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot of talent. And even when you, when you look at the plays and musicals that are happening around the country, there are lots of actors that are in those casts that are from Queensland. They don't all live in Queensland any longer, but they are from here. So, you know, we are, we do have some really good homegrown talent. Go Queensland. Yay. How'd they find you for a hairspray, by the way? Did they um, come up to see you in Months on this Island or? So I did a very bad audition for Book of Mormon. It might've been 2019. It was bad for me because I went in with a bit of a, I don't know, I wasn't feeling it. And I remember just kind of yeah. casually saying to the committee that I don't dance. <laughs> I'm not a dancer. I, you know, and they were like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be great. And I was kind of like, I don't know that I will. You know, so I did my singing and I did the scene and, you know, they were happy with that. And then came the dance audition. And I was just, you know, kind of like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. And I guess I did all right. And, you know, they were like, oh, that was great. And I'm like, oh, God, no, it wasn't. Don't just like it was bad. And then I, I ended up getting a call back for it. And then COVID happened. So it all got canceled. So this was like late 2019. And then the callbacks were going to be in 2020 around February. And they just sort of everything started getting canceled. Yeah. So Crossroads contacted me directly for Hairspray because I didn't have an agent. And mm -hmm. the I found out later that the reason they knew about me and contacted me was because the resident director was on the committee for the Book of Mormon and he remembered me and was yeah. like, 
we haven't seen this woman. Why have we not seen this woman? And so it pays people. Just keep auditioning. Go to those auditions. Just keep doing it. You know, if it's if it's your dream and it's what you want to do, yes, you will hear no a lot, but you know, it only takes that one yes. Yeah. So that's how that happened. No, I know I jumped ahead. I had this all ordered out, so it was like Matt, Matt, me, Matt, me, Matt, Matt. Matt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> something like that. Like it was a real even order, and now it's not anymore. But go. Sorry. That's all no, right. You go. You go. We can edit it. My question. I watched a video of you performing. We are Australian oh, yeah. at the 100th year Anzac Day service for our non-Australian and New Zealand listeners. Anzac Day is April 25th. It's sort of our Remembrance Day for Australian, well, Australian New Zealand diggers, who's what we call them. Funnily enough, Grave Digger was our album. <laughs> It was the 100th year of World War One, so the basically the kids that were sent off to Gallipoli in that impossible, impossible war. Now, how did that come about? That, or did you just randomly start singing in a crowd full of people? <laughs> and there were two amazing cameramen there to capture it. No, exactly. So I have a friend who is a documentary filmmaker, and mm-hmm. he came up with the idea. For it. Yeah. So he approached me and he said, look, I have this idea. It's kind of flash mobbish. Um, I'd like you, you know, so in Brisbane, we have the big Anzac Day ceremony, which takes yeah. place in the city at our Anzac Memorial. And he said, so, you know, we'll be there. It's at dawn service as they all are. He's like, so we'll be there early in the morning. And as soon as the service ends, I want you to start singing this song. And I immediately, I almost like, I kind of said no, because I was like, well, people think that's disrespectful because it's such an important, you know, holiday and it's yeah. a memorial service. And you know, so I was very, I was actually nervous and I rarely get nervous, but I was very nervous to do that. But he said, no, no, people like, you know, it's one of those songs that will bring people together and, you know, they won't, you know, people will stop and they'll listen and they might even join you. So I said, all right, I'll do it. And so we had a couple of cameras set up and I was just in the crowd. And then as soon as, you know, the ceremony finished and the crowd started to walk away, I just started singing and then people stopped and they came back. And yeah. I think some people thought it was part of the ceremony and they joined me in the chorus and it was just, it was very lovely. Yeah. It's a really beautiful thing. Mm. It was. I bawled my eyes out through it. Not just because my grandfather was in World War II, my great grandfather and my great uncle were in World War One. Um, the reason why it touched me so much is because that's the Australia I know. Mm-hmm. That an, a black American woman can stand at our most emotional ceremony and sing We Are Australian and then at the end of it have complete strangers, people who have probably had their racist histories, let's face it, a lot of these old men and old women, embracing you and and giving you a kiss on the cheek, talk about needing an intimacy coordinator at that time. <laughs> But there was just so much. That's the Australia that I've lived in for. So I'm getting emotional here because we're in this whole yes, no vote at the moment and so many arguments around. I bawled my eyes out watching you sing mm. that because I come from a military family. My best friend was there that day, that morning. Oh. Because uh, he was, mm. he is in the Air Force. It, 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 it really touched me, not just that you did that, that the way the people reacted, they sang along with you to the chorus because no one knows the verses. Let's face it. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so thank you. And to everyone who was there, like, thank you for not walking away because that's that's where I live. Yeah. It's oh, amazing. Yeah. I love yeah. the power of music. Sorry, I bawled my eyes out through it. <laughs> no, don't be sorry. That's, that's incredible. I love that. Thank I you. Mean, mm. Power of music. And, I mean, it's incredible to hear 
Asabi sing things on stage that move us as well, like in Hairspray, and then to know that she can bring that gift out into the world. <laughs> so, good on you, Asabi. That's it. Thank and, you. And especially to, and again, I don't want to you know, bring up political stuff, but to sing I Know Where I've Been in a post-2020 world, because, okay, Black Lives Matter started nearly 10 years ago. Mm, roughly yep. like a what gained traction then 2020 was when the tide changed what was that like to in, especially in australia at first not to do it in america to mm, it, it's a it is a very emotional song you know and growing up with you know history of the civil rights in my background you know it, it you have to sort of put yourself in a place to sing that song because the subtext of everything that you have to bring up just to emote the song to the audience is very, it can be very powerful. It can be overwhelming. There was one night where I broke down in tears and, you know, it was just, I was just able to get the last note out and hold that final pose. And as the curtain came down, I literally just ran off the stage and people were like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was sobbing to the point, like it was un, it, like, it was uncontrollable. And I, you know, I needed help. And I was like, I don't, I can't stop it. I can't stop it. You know, and I have to do a quick change at that point for the next scene. Or like, I think I had two scenes later. And when I was just like, it's not stopping, you know, because I didn't expect to have that much emotion for that song. So you, you really, you have to prepare yourself well before you go on stage, just so that you can still bring up that subtext, but not to the point where you can't function afterwards. So you know, it, it was a song that, you know, it did move people. And so many people in Australia told me, you know, they bawled. I would get, some people would stand up at the end of it. And, you know, and it, you know, it really resonated with the audiences here. But then when I went to America and I did it there, it was, you know, a whole nother level because now it's like you're performing a piece of theater that is very well known to the people in the audience. This is their history. This is in some cases, their life, you know, depending on how old they are. And I experienced when I was in Texas, there was one performance where the entire orchestra section stood up at the end of the song, like everybody in the audience, they all stood up. And we like, I, you know, I got teary, people on stage got teary, people backstage got teary, like it was just like, they, there was a show like a mild show stop just to allow the audience to embrace that and to be in that and to allow us to sort of like, whoop, you know, just kind of come down and then, you know, they, they changed the scene and we were all able to go off and kind of collect ourselves. But it was, it was a whole different experience to do the show in America where, you know, where, where it's that history is that history. So it, it was very emotional. Um, I did hear that there were some actors, you know, like they would have to call out because it was just, it was too much for them. If you, you know, it, it can really, you really have to allow yourself to come out of that character because otherwise it, it you know, it's just, it's emotionally draining. It's very draining. So, but it is, you know, a wonder that, you know, they were, they were able to create a song that would bring so much emotion and empathy into a show. And it was almost cut from the show. People had talked about cutting it saying like, oh, you know, Tracy should be singing the 11 o'clock number and it's too big. But Shyman and Whitman were like, nope, this, this number needs to stay in and it needs to be about them and, you know, the Black cast 
it needs to be, it's their number. It needs to be there. It, it has to be their number. So it was very close. We were very close to losing it. And that, you know, the audience responded to it as well. So that was the other reason why they kept it in the show. Wow. But, yes. Amazing. Yeah. But it is a very emotional number. <laughs> My parents cried. <laughs> in America, there were t-shirts that had lyrics on it, right? Yes. Yes. So one of the, so very different merch and I didn't realize this, so we had, you know, different merch in different countries. But in America, they had a full black T-shirt and in large letters, it says, I know where I've been. And then underneath that in script, it's the entire, uh, all the lyrics from the song completely written out on the shirt. So I did get, I got one of those shirts and, and they sold out like they were like every, all the merch always sold out, but those those sold out. So I had to have one put aside for me so I could bring it back home. But yeah, it's one of my favorite shirts from the show. So how did you get over to America with the show? So you did it here. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you know people from the American company when you got there? Like, how did this all happen? All of a sudden, like, I saw you and then all of a sudden you were like, oh, I'm going to America. And I was like, what? Well, I mean, Nina West and I became friends on social media. Um, <laughs> and so for those who don't know, Nina West, uh, a.k.a. Andrew Levitt, is one of uh, the drag queens from RuPaul's Drag Race season 11. Yeah, everyone take a shot because we mentioned Drag Race. On this show Yay! again. Whoa, what? We mentioned Drag Race on this show. That's outrageous. <laughs> and it's the same creative team in America that sort of looks over all of the different national touring hairspray productions that happen around the world. So, uh, and we luckily had the same director as well. So the US National Tour and the Australian Tour had the same director. And when their actor playing Motormouth put in her notice that she was going on to something else, they contacted me and they were like, this might be a long shot, but you know, if you're available and willing, would you like to come over and step into the role in America? And I said, yes, I will make it happen. And so my agent sort of negotiated everything for me. And the next thing you knew, I was like, within two weeks, I was on a plane heading to LA. And I had four days of rehearsal. The director came back, the director and choreographer came back because we did have three other cast members that were jumping into the show. And we, you know, did quick little catch up and brush up of some of the choreography. There were some slight differences, but most of it was the same. They allowed me to keep all the choreography for Big Blonde and Beautiful because they were like, that's your song. So we'll do whatever you do. So I walked them through that and they all followed in with that. And then I think there were some changes to Big Doll's house. And then after that, everything else was pretty much the same. Yeah, that's how it happened. So I got to, I finished that season. So that was year two of their touring and I got to finish it out. And all of my friends got to come and see it. A lot of family got to come and see it. Uh, I traveled to six different cities and had the time of my life. <laughs> Were your parents like, we came all the way to Australia to see you yeah. this, and now you're in America. So yes. <laughs> and they're like, what is going on? They might have said that. They didn't say it to me, though. <laughs> <laughs> and they so they came to see me in Atlanta. So I had a lot of family come to Atlanta. So family from Virginia, from Mississippi. Um, I have some family in Atlanta as well. And then my parents, so they all came and saw the show in Atlanta. So there was one night where I had 14 people in the audience. And then my younger brother came separately to see it in Atlanta. And then they came to Austin as well. So I have a bunch of family in Texas. And so they all came and saw it in Austin. My parents came again. Both of my brothers came. Yeah. And my sister, like 
<clears throat> it was just, it was amazing to be able to, you know, because when I left America, I left as an engineer and then I came back as, you know, this performer and I'm doing these tours and singing and there was some, you know, I have little cousins that are only five years old and I've never met them because I've been over here for so long. And so they got to see me perform and I got to bring them backstage and show them my dressing room. And so it was just, it was really cool. It was just a really fun thing to do. And I'm very grateful that you know, they said, yeah, well, we'd love to bring you over and have you step into this role. And then, of course, you know, just networking. So, you know, you're meeting the executive producers of things and just it, it's a great way as an actor to sort of get yourself out there, get your name out there. And, you know, because networking generates more work and it's just what we have to do. So it was a fantastic opportunity. Wonderful. And then they just called you and you're like, hey, we've got another show. <laughs> exactly. So it's. Yeah, I, it was a great experience. Mm. So good. Uh, if any producers out there, I'm free for the next two weeks if you want to fly me to America. <laughs> Do it. He's funny. Yes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's so yeah. Why are you complimenting me? I invited you onto my show Aww. for me to compliment you. Aww. Anyways, as queen, which reigns supreme? Okay. And Matt, you can answer as well. Well, I am a queen, so I will answer as well. And whether or not you get to host again depends on your answers. Oh, gee. Number one, Vegemite or peanut butter? Ooh, Vegemite, 100%. Oh, yeah. Amen. Peanut butter. Number two, Stockman or Cowboys? Cowboys. Cowboys. Yes. Hello, Texas yeah. Cowboys. Thank you very much. <laughs> Number three, Home and Away or Neighbors? Neighbors, because I want a story arc on Neighbors. They have to cast me. Yep. Me too. We could be the American couple. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. Yes. That'd be awesome. Looking for a house. Yep. Listen up. Mm -hmm. Neighbors, we're next. I would tune into that. Number four, <laughs> Aussie rules football or gridiron? Oh, gridiron. <laughs> oh, no. Out. Yeah. Nope. Sorry. The door is that way. Number five, Aussie donuts or American donuts? What the heck is an Aussie donut? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Are they different? Yeah. Oh, you mean like boring donuts as opposed to like actual donuts? Is that what it's talking about? I don't about? know. Donuts are all the same to me. So the local market jam donuts. Trick question. That's a trick question. Australian donuts. Full stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways, Kylie or Madonna? That's not fair. That's that's a fight. That's just yeah. Throw it down. <laughs> that is a fight. I don't know. Kylie or Madonna? Can I say both? No. Okay, well, I... Didn't they kiss? Okay, no, 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 they no, didn't. That was Brittany. That was Brittany. Yeah, that was Brittany. Yeah, Christina and, and Christina. And Everybody forgets Christina. Um, look, I love Kylie. I do love Kylie, but I know more Madonna songs. I'm going to go Madonna. Same. I was born in America, sorry. I was too, contrary to most people's beliefs. Sorry, Kylie, but you did steal all the best songs from our previous guest, Sunita, but I'll totally cut that out of the <gasps> episode. She said it, not me. She said it, not me. It was at the end of the episode. Don't cut it out. Let her spill the tea. Uh, anyways, number seven, a summer Christmas <laughs> or a winter Christmas, which reigns supreme. Ooh. Ooh. Well, I mean, winter Christmas, you have glue vine, you have mm. ice skating, you can snuggle up by the fire. The summer Christmas, you have seafood and you have the beach. Yeah. Oh, that's hard. That's a difficult one. Backyard cricket. Mm, yeah, well. I'm not playing backyard cricket. Summer for me. I'm going to go winter. Summer. Yeah. Oh, we're a split vote. Dissenting voices. Looking like a true married couple on neighbors. 
<laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate summer. Spring Christmas for me. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Anyways, Bette Midler's Mama Rose or Patty Lapone's Mama Rose? Bette Midler. Ooh. Although I do love Patty Lapone. Mm-hmm. But Patty for me. Bette Midler. Oh, man. Is Patty going to hear this? I don't think she's tuning in anytime soon. Well, well, That's if before this episode drops, she does. Patty Lapone. Otherwise, Bette okay. Midler. Yeah. I saw Betty Buckley do it. She was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Mm. Number nine, Valma Kelly or Roxy Hart, who reigns <sighs> supreme? Ooh. <sighs> well, if there's going to be a fist fight, Velma's going to win. And all that jazz. Did you say Madonna? <laughs> oh, my God. Madonna is Velma Kelly. I'd pay to see that. Wasn't she meant to be? Yeah, she was. Yeah, the original. Wasn't she supposed to be in the original or something? Or in the. Yeah. Not in the original. She would have been way too young. No, no. The, maybe it was the revival. No, the, the film. Oh, no. It was the film. When the, when they originally wanted to make a film of it. it was, oh, it's going to be Madonna. I think so. Yeah, Madonna was in the mix. Oh, that would have been good. That would have been really good. Yeah, like 10 or 15 years before the movie was actually made. Yeah, okay. Was that maybe after she had done Evita? And maybe that's why. Possibly. Maybe. Her to do that. Oh. I think Fosse was still alive. I think it didn't happen because he died. I think that's. Oh, uh, okay. Had, yeah. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Because he was going to helm the movie and then boom. Yeah, and then he passed away. Mm, that's sad. And he was looking for like the new. He was looking at her for Roxy, I think, because he was looking for like who's like the new, mm-hmm. you know, the new. Oh, she would have been a great Roxy. But right now, she'd make a great Velma on Broadway if she wanted to do it. Anyway. Um, Gosh, look, they both have great songs. So my my favorite song in the show is We Both Reach for the Gun, which is a Roxy song. But I do, like, I'm constantly singing all that jazz. Like, I feel like that's just kind of the subtext that's running through my head a lot lately. And then, of course, I get to sing class with Velma. So I'm going to say Velma. Yeah. And last mm. one, the Moulin Rouge movie or the Moulin Rouge musical? The movie. The movie. Both. Do you remember that soundtrack when it came out? We played it like insane amount. Like we just played it, played it, played it. Yes, I CD. <laughs> I still have it, and I will forever say that the best singer ever in that musical or in the in the movie was Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor had the best voice of all of them. And no one ever talked about it. They never, like, he never got any kudos for it. There was no awards. There was nothing. And I'm sorry, but Nicole Kidman can't sing. Well, I mean, she can sing, but she's, you know. Hmm. She's sweet with that. I liked her in it. She had that, that real quirk. Yeah, no, her, she was great. I thought she was great, but I just think her, her voice isn't that great. Yeah. And I am a huge Baz Luhrmann fan. Huge. I love him. He loves me, too. So, which was lovely. Right, yes, you did Elvis. Miss Elvis. And I got to work with him. You're like, oh, yeah. Baz. Oh, you again. Baz, Baz and I. Like, he would give me little kisses on the cheek and hugs and stuff. He was very lovely. So I really enjoyed working with him. I had a really amazing time. Even though I had a very, like, small role. <laughs> yeah, but impactful. Yeah, I guess it was. It was imp- I had one line. One line. It was good. Yeah, I enjoyed the show. All right, two last questions before, okay. um, you know, so it won't keep you too long. They sort of relate in a weird mm. way. But getting back to Hairspray with the dancing, oh, God. especially in that last number, and you can't stop the beat. Yes. 
what was that like? What did you have to do to prepare for that like last section of the show? Hell. It was pure hell. So, you know, as I told you, when I first auditioned for Book of Mormon, I was like, I don't dance. And then when the resident director, you know, hired me, he was the one that actually told me that, yeah, I remember you from Book of Mormon. And I remember you saying, I don't dance. And the first thing I thought was, I'm going to get her to dance. I'm going to get her to dance. I'm going to get her to dance because he's a dancer. And then, of course, here I am on Hairspray. And he's like, right, now you're going to dance. You Can't Stop the Beat is the very first thing that we learned on day one of rehearsals. And I was worried because I didn't do a dance audition for Hairspray. And I legitimately thought that they would fire me that first day because I was like, oh, I'm just I'm going to fail at this. But it wasn't as hard as I thought it was. And I, you know, I, like I was out of breath because it is, you know, they call it You Can't Stop to Breathe. And <laughs> I was looking around at all these fit dancers who were, you know, like, <sighs> like breathing heavily and like holding themselves. And I started to laugh. And then I was like, oh, sorry, no, 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 I'm not laughing at you. I'm just because I thought that I would be the only one out of breath. And they were like, no, it's hard. This is hard. So, yeah, no, we're this. is Yep. You're going to be out of breath. So it made me feel better that everyone was just kind of out of breath. Like I could do the dance moves because they they weren't that intricate, but it made me feel better that, you know, I wasn't the only one that was just like, oh my God, I can't breathe. And then that's when they're like, well, yeah, they call it, you can't stop to breathe for a reason. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a hard dance to do and sing. You have to sing at the same time. And then they saw you in that for Chicago and they were like, oh, we're going to put her in that because it's a dance show. Yeah. Look, I don't have to dance in Chicago. <laughs> I don't even wear high heels. <laughs> what? No, you are not going out on the runway without heels on. You know the rules. Yep. That's it. Well, hey, look, there have been people that have gone barefoot on drag race. But yes, no, you should always have heels. But I, I'm in a nice, sensible, beautiful flat shoe. Yeah. for Chicago and it, I do love Fosse's dancing I have done it before when, in my youth when I was younger I've done cell block tango before I was pop um <laughs> but I I don't have to dance in this show that I know of that's what they've told me so far but you never know you meet that choreographer and he's like let's just throw you in this number anyway come on and then the next thing you know you're gonna be dancing so so I'm ready I'm ready I've been doing my leg workouts at the gym I'm ready for it. Bring it on, uh, Fosse. Let's go. I've got one last question. <laughs> okay. That takes you even further back in time than when you were learning how to dance for um, Hairspray. Uh-oh. At USC, you were in an acapella group called The Siren. Is this true? I was. Did you have to dance and sing? Yes. And is it like the movie Pitch Perfect? Okay, it is exactly like the movie Pitch Perfect. So much so that when I saw Pitch Perfect, I went, I need to look at the credits and see who wrote this because there, there were just too many similarities. And, you know, USC, it's a cinema school. There are lots of, you know, famous people that go there, stars and what have you, people that are now famous. Shonda Rhimes went there. I don't know. There could have been there could have been somebody who was like, oh, let's just take a little bit of what I experienced at uni. So, but yes, it was fantastic. Oh, sorry. My computer is just telling me that's low battery. Okay. That's not fantastic. No, but yeah, no, I sang with the USC Sirens. We, they are an award-winning acapella group. They're still going. They just celebrated 25 years, I think. And I was a founding member. Yeah. So... It was really good. Did you do mashups? We do do mashups. Yep. If you listen to their second album, it's actually. Are you on an album with them? 
I'm on the first one. Yes. So I'm on their first album. Yeah. And then if you, I think I had a solo in To Become One Spice Girls. and Nothing Compares to You. I think those are my song. Yeah. The Spice Girls. I, w- I listened to both Spice Girls albums yesterday, well, even though they've had more than two. I listened to the first two, Spice and Spice World, yesterday. I was going to write out that I'm listening to 78 Minutes of Perfection. Yes. It's so good. I love the Spice Girls. Yeah, so um, I'm on their very first album, and then and then I graduated. Oh, and once you leave uni, then obviously, yeah, because it's a university project. Yeah. So you don't want to be that person. Yeah, no, I don't want to be coming back. And I left the city as well. I was no longer in LA. But no, it's a fantastic group. They're still going. I think their second album won every collegiate award for acapella. Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, there was this belief that all female groups can't compete with male, all male or mixed groups because we don't have the same vocal range. But we were like, well, it just depends on how you arrange the song, right? So you arrange Mm -hmm. the song for female voices and then you can. And so, yeah, we were able to prove that. So that second album is just stellar. It's amazing. So you should have and a listen you, if you like college mm, acapella. Mm. We will do. And do you have perfect pitch? Mm, look, my pitch is pretty good. <laughs> um, is it like, is it perfect? I don't, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say that it's perfect, but it is pretty good. Like I can start singing a song before my band starts playing it and I'm right on pitch. So yeah, I usually, I usually know where my note is. Mm. All right. Well, I think that that's it. I mean, I hate to see you go, but, uh, but it's been. <laughs> but I love to watch you walk away. Yes, that's <laughs> it. You missed it, man. Wait, what's that from? <laughs> It's like everything. It's from life in general. Yeah. I hate to see you go. I love to watch you walk away. That's it. Okay. So perverted. But anyways. Yeah. I love it. So thanks so much for joining us, Asabi. Uh, you are. Thank you. You are my friend. You are a, my queen. You are an inspiration. I'm really looking forward to just seeing all the success that you can continue to have yes. in this Australian industry because you have made you you're the overnight sensation, you know, at 23 <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's been really awesome and thanks so much for coming on and talking about what you love and even things that you didn't love <laughs> <laughs> well thank you guys for having me i've had a fantastic time it's been great oh, good, thank god and where can we find you on the socials oh uh, like if you go to my website asabigoodman.com You'll be able to find Instagram and Facebook, maybe not X because I don't really go on that much, but you'll be able to find me there. You can find my YouTube as well. Yeah, You're (laughs) going to kill me for saying this, but it's not as a by good man. It's Asabi Goodman. That's right. There's two words, not one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But. If you are a good by man, you know where my email is anyways. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Such a thrill. I'm, I'm so excited for your, to watch your star explore. Yeah, and I'll see you in Melbourne. Yes. Yeah. David Newman, Camelot. I forgot to mention Camelot. The connection to our past guest, David Newman, with his father winning the Oscar. Goodness gracious me. With, I think, Andre Previn. Mm. But I'm going to say my outro before your yeah. computer dies and before um, we wrap up, because I actually have a two o'clock appointment. Oops. Yeah. All right. Know. And I want to have a nap. I got to go to the gym. Awesome. <laughs> That's it from us. I'll be back next episode in a couple of weeks. Aaron won't be here. We promise you this time. 
Check below for all the links and details. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other, and we shall see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Awesome. Well done. I'm so proud, man. Oh, thanks, mate. I, I just, I... Like quicksand! And I will have a strong word discussion about later because um, he likes the big sets and <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah, the gloves are coming off, people. I'm uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. I'm far too opinionated for my own good. Yeah, I'm not a fight choreographer, only intimacy. <laughs> <laughs>